morning, everybody. Apologize for my extreme tardiness this morning. There were those in my party who decided to have a leisurely bowl of cereal five minutes before it was time to go. So, and I mean leisurely, with miniature spoons. It was awesome. Uh, every Sunday morning at my house is like resurrection morning. It's like dragging everybody out of bed, including me. So. <clears throat> All right, well, here we are. Jesus, we thank You for Your Word. Thank You for Your great faithfulness to us. God, You have just continually uh, kept us in the hollow of Your hand. God, You've, you've spoken to us. You've led us. And, God, and what we're praying today, God, is for that refreshing of our souls in Your presence. God, that You would just minister to every heart. God, that You would blow uh, with the wind of Your Holy Ghost. God, blow the dust off of our altars, God. Blow the, the, the cobwebs from the corners of our souls, God, and that, uh, that You would just cause us to, to get plugged into You. God, I, just, I pray it in Your name. And that you would just open our hearts today to hear what you have to say, God, to um, accept it as being from you, and to um, apply it to our hearts. God, we pray it and ask it in your righteous name. Amen. Amen. Let's go to First Samuel 15. And the great thing about God is that He's always faithful, <clears throat> and and, uh, and He just leads us along. I was listening to some Christmas music on the way here. Some old, some of the old hymns. It's like, man, we should sing those all the time. You know, it's like uh, uh, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, hail incarnate deity. It's like, man, why don't we sing stuff like that all year round? But. Uh, uh, I just appreciate God continually talking to us and leading us. And uh, you know, there are, are times um, when um, we just we miss what He's saying, or or that uh, um, or that we don't want to hear what He's saying. Um, I'm sure none of you because you all look like nice, decent folks. I'm sure none of you have ever had anyone tell you something that you did not want to hear. Okay, maybe you have. And uh, I was going to say, well, who am I kidding? You go to church here. And <laughs> <clears throat> so um, I don't like telling people things they don't like to hear. That's never fun. But... Uh, um, so here in in First Samuel 15, though, uh, we have Saul, who has been uh, anointed king. Uh, God chose him not because he wanted to necessarily have a, a king over over his people, but because they they demanded one. And uh, and he told, of course, he told Samuel they haven't rejected, they've just rejected me from being king over them. That's why they want a king. king. And he warned them, well, this is what it's going to be like. And uh, so <clears throat> here we are at, uh, at 15 and, <clears throat> excuse me, um, God is, uh, or, um, well, 
No, I guess let's read it. Start in verse 1. Samuel also said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people, over Israel. Now, therefore, hearken to the voice of of the words of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I remember that which Amalek did to Israel, and how he laid wait for him in the way when he came up from Egypt. So, it's funny because sometimes we, we forget that that God has a very, very long memory. And, and we feel like things that we've asked Him for that are really long in coming or, or things that happened to us a long time ago, He's just, you know, that He's forgotten them. And, because uh, he, he reached back quite a ways here to, uh, uh, I mean, generations to what Amalek did to them. Like the, the people that that suffered this wrong at the hands of Amalek are are long since uh, gone. But he said, I remember what what Amalek did and how they they fought against them. And and God said He would always have war with Amalek because of course Amalek is the flesh. And he's and He deals with it in every generation. He deals with it in you. He deals with it in me. He'll deal with it in your kids. He'll deal with it in your grandkids. And um, he says, now go and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all they have and spare them not, but slay both man and woman, infant and suckling, ox and sheep and camel and ass. That's pretty clear. Pretty explicit command. Basically kill everything that breathes in, in Amalek's camp. <clears throat> and you know, I'm no soldier, but I can only imagine how cringe worthy that would be you know how, how would you feel you know charging into this village and killing unarmed women and children but um, God is is making a point here like you you can't just let the flesh hang around you can't just keep the things that that work that you think work well for you he said to destroy all of it and and, and he says spare them not and so there will be those times that You'll be examining your own life by the Word of God and you'll see things that you would kind of like to spare because it's like, that's my precious thing. And, and yet he says to destroy it all. And Saul gathered the people together and numbered them in Telaim, 200,000 footmen and 10,000 of Judah. And Saul came to the city of Amalek and laid wait in the valley. And Saul said to the Kenites, go, depart, get you down from the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For you showed kindness to the children of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. And so the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites. And Saul smote the Amalekites from Havilah till thou comest to Shur, which is over against Egypt. And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive, and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and the oxen and the fatlings and the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them. But everything that was vile and refuse, that they destroyed utterly. So, so God is telling them to get rid of the flesh and to uh, and to to not spare it. And it's easy to uh, spare yourself. Like I said, it's like, well, you know, I make these little allowances or or whatever. Or this truly, this is harmless, and 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 all that sort of thing. But he he left the king alive. If you were going to keep something, you would think the king would not be it. Because if you, uh, you know, when uh, uh, 
when when the, you would take over a nation, if you didn't want them to somehow rise up against you, you know, with some like I am the rightful ruler here, you would think you would want to get rid of the royal family, and and have them not be there anymore. Of course, you may create some resentment there, but I'm no politician. But I mean, just saying, it seems like keeping the king alive would be the that would be one of the first things you would want to get rid of. Uh, but sometimes we do that. Sometimes we We'll go through and, and we'll clean house, as it were, but we, we leave the king there. It's like, you know, we, well, I, I suppose we could get rid of this and that, but I'm going to reserve the right to hang on to this and that and, and listen to who I want and what I want. And if it displeases me, then I should go elsewhere. Take my tithe somewhere else, you know. And uh, so... It's funny because he kept everything that could be of use that he thought was valuable, but it said that everything that was vile and refuse that they destroyed utterly. So it's like <clears throat> it's kind of a it's like he came fifty percent of the way. It's like, well, yeah, I killed a bunch of them, and you know, I, I got rid of the stuff that was obviously ooh, icky yuck, but but the stuff that I I thought was all right, I went ahead and kept it there. And then the word of the Lord came to Samuel, saying, It repents me that I set up Saul to be king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried to the Lord all night. And when Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul, it was told Samuel, saying, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he's set him up a place. He's gone about, passed down, and gone to Gilgal. And you know, Samuel was dreading this, this meeting. He was dreading this conversation. Because he cared about uh, about Saul, and you know, I mean, this is the guy that would show up to a village and they would say, "Come and out peaceably," and and yeah, I'm I'm sure that he was not looking forward to having to bring Saul this message that he was getting ready to bring him. And it's 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 always terrible to bring someone a really hard message when they have no idea it's even coming. If somebody's expecting you to come down on them about something, it's a lot easier to approach that conversation and just get it over with. But there's something about giving somebody this emotional car accident that just happened out of nowhere of them not even seeing it coming that's that's a lot more difficult. And so Samuel comes to Saul and Saul said to him, Blessed be thou of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. Oh, it's like he has no idea what I'm getting ready to say, and he he thought that he did what I what God told him to do. And Samuel said, "Well, what means then the bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear?" And Saul said, "They've brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen and the sacrifice unto the Lord thy God, but the rest we've utterly destroyed." So he so Saul kind of blame shifts here, doesn't he? He's like, well, the people brought the stuff. It's like he's 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 not he was born at night, but it wasn't the night before. So he he kind of picked up which way the wind was blowing here when when Samuel's clearly not smiling and patting him on the back, and he's he's asking, so if you did what God said, then why are there all these sheep and oxen over here? So he's like, well, people people took them and and did stuff, and it's easy to uh, point the blame somewhere else. Than it is to just accept uh, accept it when you've when you've made a mistake or or, or done something wrong. 
And uh, it's it's funny. It's just human nature. Nobody likes to admit that. Yeah, I just totally messed that up. Even um, even if it's like something that's like not a terribly big deal, it's like oh man, you know. And even if you if it's somebody who is is quick to talk down about themselves and and see themselves as being you know less than or, or a loser or, or whatever they might say about themselves, still. You know, or it's like pulling teeth to get someone to admit, eh, yeah, yeah, I messed that up. We practice that all the time at work. We have these principles that we go over with the guys every uh, every Monday morning, and one of them is I will take ownership of my mistakes and offer solutions instead of excuses. <clears throat> because we had a guy who caused this just horrendous train wreck of a problem, and and uh, um, and we thought, okay. If, and, and he was great at blame shifting, and we thought, okay, if he if he tries to pass this off as somebody else's fault, he is out of here. And and he actually accepted it. We were really surprised. But then since we had other people who knew this principle well, like, nope, not my fault. So, um, but um, we practiced that. And Mike and I lead by example because uh, my mistakes are all really super easy to quantify because they all have to do with numbers. And so it's like, well, either the number is right or it isn't. It's like, oh, dang. And so I've, I've spent uh, many a Monday morning uh, in front of uh, these guys that uh, work for me going, yeah, I messed that up. So you get used to it after a while. But, um, you know, honestly, if you if you let go of that sense of self-preservation that has to save face and just admit that you're wrong about something, it actually gets easier the next time you have to do that, should you have to do that again. Then uh, it's um, way, way easier that way. Uh But, of course, so so Saul makes this somebody else's fault. Like, oh, they brought them from the Amalekites. For the people spared the best of the stuff, the sacrifice to the Lord God. It's like, okay. And so, but Samuel's thinking, but that's not what God said to do. It's like it sounds nice and religious and awesome, but it's not what God said to do. So Samuel said to Saul, stay, and I will tell you what the Lord has said to me this night. And he said to him, stay on. And Samuel said, when you were little in your own sight, were you not made the head of the tribes of Israel? And the Lord anointed you king over Israel? So at one time he was little in his own sight. Because he, he hid among the stuff because he didn't want to be king. Because he didn't think he was uh, qualified. So he started out not bad there. That's, that's a good way to start out. Uh, because if you are going to be in any kind of leadership position, then you know if you, if you think you're head and shoulders above everyone else and, and that you, you're you know, eager to boss people around, then you probably don't belong in leadership. But he says, when you were little in your own sight, were you not made the head of the tribes of Israel? And the Lord pointed you king over Israel. And the Lord sent you on a journey and said, go and utterly destroy the sinners of the Amalekites and fight against them till they be consumed. So, so he's just reiterating what God told him. He's like, he didn't tell you to get rid of the, the, the icky stuff. He said to get rid of all of it. Wherefore then didst thou not obey the voice of the Lord, didst fly on the spoil, and didst evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, Yea, I have observed the voice of the Lord. I have gone the way the Lord sent me, and I brought Agag the king of Amalek, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. 
so so here Samuel laid out plain as day. Well, here's where you went off the rails here. And and he's and he argues with him. He's like, no, no, I did what God told me to do. I brought the king. And uh, and you know Samuel is just thinking today. God never said anything about bring the king here. He said destroy them all. Just get rid of them. You know, I, I love it when God gives instructions that are just plain black and white. It's, it, it make I, I like plain instructions. I've, if you ever like, you know, you buy something that's like some assembly required. It's like oh. Man, I got some stuff. I ordered some some Christmas presents yesterday, uh, and uh, I'm like looking at the little thing on Amazon, like some assembly required. Oh man! So it's like Christmas is not going to be fun at my house, but that's all right. That's all right. I just I have these memories of being a kid, and my mom was always always ordering stuff. Um, from the little catalogs, because of course Al Gore hadn't invented the internet yet, and um, and so uh, she's always buying all this stuff, and it was all like these like crappy press board furniture things that always had to be put together, and you know it's like you had to sort through the instructions and and, and all that stuff, and my my dad had uh, about this much patience, and. Uh, so slightly less than me, but not much. And he would just, I remember just, I have all these memories of all these Saturday afternoons of just this tension in the house because dad's like trying to put this thing together and it's not going well. And he's and he's like, and, and he probably would have rather mom not have bought it in the first place, but he didn't want to tell her that. So well, kudos to him there. But um, <clears throat> yeah. So, but, you know, nice, simple instructions. Like, I don't know how many times I've looked at something and, like, I would read, you know, they're like, read through the instructions first. Because I got a new microwave and I was, like, trying, it's like one of those ones you put in over the stove. And it was like, I'm, the instructions might as well have been upside down and in Korean. I mean, it made no sense to me at all. I just kind of had to dive into it and start fiddling around with it and figure it out as I went. It's like, okay, now this vaguely makes sense. I can see why they would say that now. You know, God doesn't give instructions that way. They're typically a lot more clear. I like clear instructions. Uh, it helps you get the right result a lot easier. And so, so here God is giving him these very plain, plain instructions, and 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 Saul's trying to kind of weasel around with it. He says, "Yeah, I've obeyed the voice of the Lord." In verse twenty, and I've gone the way which the Lord sent me. I brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and I've utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took up the spoil, the sheep and the oxen, and the chief things which should have been utterly destroyed to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God in Gilgal. And who do you think gave them that idea? <laughs> uh-huh. Uh, yeah, if you're the boss, that kind of stops with you, buddy. So Samuel said, Has the Lord as great a delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. I like that he says hearken there. Because, you know, we don't use that word really anymore unless you're singing Hark the Herald Angels Sing. But if you hearken to something, you didn't just hear it. You're actually hearing it. You're actually taking in what is said and you're 
making application to it and um, with it, I should say, and and really getting what's being said. So it's like Saul heard what what God said, but he didn't hearken to it. He's like, you know, uh, one of my uh, favorite proverbs. Uh, it, uh, and I think it's probably in a few places there in Proverbs where it talks about that if you answer a matter before you hear it, then it's foolishness. Yeah. You know, and uh, sometimes we think that we know what somebody is going to tell us, and so we like we're finishing their sandwich. I mean, sentence. You know, and then we get the wrong thing because we thought we knew what they were going to say, but we didn't listen. And and so. Um, I've had many conversations with people at my house about um, not talking when someone else is talking because then you miss out and you don't actually get what they're going to say. So so here, Saul has listened to what God said, but he didn't hearken to it. He didn't receive it as um, God is expecting me to do this the way he told me to do it. And uh, And Samuel says that you know, yeah, you brought all this great sacrifice stuff, and that sounds awesome. It's like you know, you you were you know you got you got all excited and started teaching, uh, you know, volunteered to teach a Sunday school or or do some sort of deal like that, and the uh, to get you busy and looking like you were doing something, and you'd have something you could point out that wow, look at me, I'm 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 excelling here, and and he's like, well, actually, um, that's that's like. Well, bringing all these sacrifices. It's like I didn't ask for that. I didn't ask you to bring me any of that stuff. And and it's I, you know, there's places where uh, you know God's like that. It, I don't need your sacrifices. If I was hungry, I wouldn't tell you. You know, it's like I own all this stuff anyway. It doesn't really impress me if you bring me a bunch of stuff because I kind of made it all, and I could kind of just make some more. And so like what I what I'm wanting then is for you to to obey. So he says it's better to obey than sacrifice. To obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat of rams. For the rebellion, rebellion, is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is iniquity and idolatry. I know we've talked about that, I think, somewhat recently, because that's an interesting statement. Stubbornness being idolatry. It's like because, well, I, I, I don't listen to, I don't obey God. I obey me. So that would put me in that place of of being the Godhead of my life, and and therefore now I've, I've entered into idolatry because I'm not going to do what God told me to do. I'm going to do what I told me to do because I like that better. So so he so Samuel goes on to say, because you have rejected the word of the Lord, He's also rejected you from being king. And Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, for I transgressed the commandment of the Lord. And thy words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now, therefore, I pray thee, pardon my sin and turn again with me that I may worship the Lord. So, it's interesting here because he, Saul didn't really get what Samuel was saying until, until now comes this consequence because he knows that what, you know, Samuel means business here, and then he knows that he's bringing the word of God to him. And that that uh, that God is He's saying God's rejected him for being king, and so he's like, okay, yeah, I've sinned, all right. But there's still this element of staying in charge and and keeping the status quo. He's not 
there, there's not a real sense of repentance here because he says, um, he's like, yeah, I did the wrong thing because I feared people, you know. I mean, but you know, can you blame a guy? He's like, now, you know, let's, you know, let's save some face here and, um, you know, and turn again with me and, and let's worship God. So everybody can see that you and I are on the same page, and everybody, everything is is all super cool. And uh, and Samuel or Saul, Samuel tells Saul, no. He says, I will not return with you, for you've rejected the word of the Lord, and the and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. And as Samuel turned about to go away, he laid hold on the skirt of his mantle, and it rent. And Samuel said to him, The Lord has rent the kingdom of Israel from you today. And has given it to a neighbor of thine that's better than thou. Also, the strength of Israel will not lie nor repent, for he's not a man that he should repent. And he said, I have sinned, yet honor me now, I pray thee, before the elders of my people and before Israel, and turn again with me that I may worship the Lord thy God. So Samuel turned again after Saul, and Saul worshipped the Lord. And then Samuel said, Bring me hither Agag, king of the Amalekites. And Agag came to him delicately. And Agag said, Surely the bitterness of death has passed. And Samuel said, As thy sword has made women childless, so shall thy mother be childless among women. And Samuel hewed Agag in pieces before the Lord in Gilgal. And Samuel went to Ramah, and Saul went up to his house in Gibeah of Saul. And Samuel came no more to see Saul to the day of his death. And nevertheless, he mourned for Saul, for the Lord repented that he'd made Saul king over Israel. So, so here... God brings him this word, like, hey, you've done this thing. And and it's not like this is the first time that God has had this kind of interaction with Saul. Because if your Bible's anything like mine, it'll say this is Saul's second sin at Gilgal. So he's already not, he's already kind of shown this track record of not obeying God. And, uh, and of course, so Samuel finishes up what Saul didn't do and destroys the king. Of the Amalekites. Um, uh, so just go with me real briefly over to, I believe it's Second Samuel 12. Yep. And I'm not, I'm not going to take quite as much time here. You all know the story of David and Bathsheba. And, uh, and uh, so we're not going to cover all that necessarily. But of course, David has... Uh, tried to cover everything up that he did, and and uh, thinking that you know if nobody knows what I did, then then surely it'll it'll be all right, as if God didn't know what he did. And so in in Second Samuel twelve one it says, the Lord sent Nathan to David, and there came to him, and he came unto him and said unto him, There are two men in one city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceeding many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing save one little ewe lamb which he had brought up and nourished up, and it grew up together with him and with his children. And it did eat of his own meat and drank of his own cup and lay in his bosom and was unto him as a daughter. I'm not that kind of pet person. And there was there came a traveler unto the rich man, and he spared to take from his own flock of his own herd to dress for the wayfaring man that was come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and dressed it for the man that was come to him. And David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man that has done this thing shall surely die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. And it's easy to get all like indignant and self-righteous of, of when somebody else did something wrong. And uh, 
that like to me this is like one of the most like just dramatic moments of the entire Bible. Just this like because here's this prophet and he's listening to David just pontificate about how how this this guy is so bad and he should be destroyed. And then and Nathan said, "Thou art the man." It's like you know I'm, you can almost hear like the the record needle being pulled off the record, right? It's like, wait, what? And it's like, well, that would be you, because that's what you did. It's like, here, you know, you're the king, and and you have all of this stuff, and you you have all these wives and everything, but you had to have that one that didn't belong to you, belonged to somebody else. And so again, here's Nathan having a, a really unpleasant conversation with with the king, just like just like Samuel did, and. And Sam, when when Samuel confronted Saul, he just he tried to weasel, and and even his uh, even his admissions of fault were still um, they still had this kind of sense of um, qualification to them. Like, well, yeah, but like hey, it was the people's fault, or you know, yeah, but I, no, I I did what I was supposed to do, but you know, the people they they did their thing, and. Uh, um, so, you know, if the people had done really, really good, do you think that uh, Saul would have been eager to take uh, credit for that? If the if the people had just destroyed Amalek utterly, like God said, do you think uh, Saul would have pounded his chest and taken all the credit for it? Yeah. But when they did the wrong thing, it's like, no, it's their fault. It's like, wow, what a fair weather friend. So, So here's Samuel then. I mean, Nathan talking to David says, you are the man. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I have anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house, your master's wives into your bosom, and I gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if that had been too little, I would moreover have given unto you such and such things. Wherefore have you despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? Thou hast killed Uriah the Hittite with a sword taken his wife to be thy wife, and has slain, with the sword, slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house, because you have despised me, and have taken the wife of Uriah to be thy wife. And thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house, and I will take your wives from before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with thy wives in the sight of the son. For thou didst it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the son. So it's like, Ouch! Like kind of makes me cringe just thinking about it. You know, um, I was always one of those kids in school that's like, if, if the teacher was really going on a rant about somebody's bad behavior, I was always kind of like, I knew they weren't talking to me, but I was still just like, oh man, just kind of like you know, wanting to keep my head down just in case. The when the, the overweening destruction came through, I wanted it to miss me, and. Uh, um and uh but but here in verse 13 David says to Nathan I've sinned against the Lord. He doesn't qualify it with anything. He doesn't he doesn't try and weasel out of it. He's like, "Yep, got me." Because he could have had Nathan killed. He was the king. Like, "How dare you?" It's like, "Well, this is going to stay secret. It's going to die with you." But he but he didn't do that. He he realized, "You know what? I can't hide stuff from God." And and he's got me because I did, and you know that you know he felt terrible about it. 
you know, before Nathan confronted him, you know that it was like, it's just because as you read about David and you kind of get to figure out what kind of guy he was, you know this was just eating him up inside. I can't believe I did that. Hopefully I can just keep this hidden and hopefully it will just go away. And then Nathan confronts him on it. That almost would have to be a relief in some sort of way to just get, let's just get this dealt with then. And, uh, and so, I, but I just, David's, you know, uh, Nathan just starts out by saying, you're the man. And so, of course, he says all this stuff. But then it's like David answers and says, I sinned against the Lord. It's like, yep, you're right. And so you can you can see that his, you know, there there's a, a genuineness to, to this admission and to his repentance because he didn't try and qualify it with some sort of, reasoning or excuse as to why he why he did it. It's like, well, she was really pretty, and she was like taking a bath on the roof where everybody could see her. Are you kidding me? You know, he didn't he didn't throw any of that stuff out there. He just said, no, you're right. That was totally the wrong thing. And Nathan said to David, the Lord has also put away thy sin, thou shalt not die. Howbeit, because by, this, because by this deed you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child that's born to you shall surely die. So, you know, God doesn't just pat him on the head and say, oh, it's okay, little buddy. You know, he, he, he forgives him and, and he puts away that sin, but there's still a consequence that he has to live with for what he did. But the thing that I thought was really interesting about these, you have these two kings, like one right after the other, they both get this, this message from God. And one of them didn't want to hear it and tried to weasel his way out of it. And and then the other one said, yeah, mm-hmm, that is true. I did. And so we have that same opportunity when uh, when God wants to address something in our life or diagnose something. Um, I, you know, I, I think we all have things in our life that we start sweating when God starts talking about it because like, we don't want to deal with it. I don't want to confront that thought. I don't want to deal with that issue. I don't want to even consider that what he's saying could apply to me. And, and, and all God asks of us is to make that, that sense of application. It's like, is this me? As I've said many, many a time, um, you know, if you're the kid in the classroom and, and, and the teacher is, is really coming down hard on somebody, well, I've been in a lot of church services that felt like that. And you just have to take the Word of God and say, am I doing that? You know, and look at my life, not, not with this, this kind of witch hunt mentality that presupposes that I'm going to find it there. But just, is it there? Well, no. Okay. Well, happy day for me. Um, but, but also to take that, that admonition of, well, that would be a good thing to avoid then let's let's definitely stay away from that uh, talking to one of my children about he was complaining about some and lamenting about some consequences that he was experiencing and i told him well if you don't want the consequences then don't do the thing that brings them and this will all go away it will never happen again so um and if it does then it will happen again and again and again until until you take pity on yourself and change what you're doing. So um, so God diagnoses us 
um, with, uh, or, or he just talks to us about things, you know, and he said, come, let's, let's reason together. You know, he, when you read Isaiah, he's like super, super tender and treating about it. It's like, because, you know, we, we, we feel like if God is going to address something in our life, it's going to be like this, like, uh, thunder and brimstone type of moment. But you don't get to that moment unless you're ignoring what he's saying. And I willfully ignoring what he's saying. Because he'll he'll talk a little bit louder until and until you get the idea. Because God doesn't like to have these kind of uh uh confrontations at this level where it's like I'm going to have to deal out like this serious consequence. That's not what he's about. Um but uh um so I think it's precious though that, that God would give us these examples of it's like so you know, yeah, David went through some tough stuff and his consequences stuck with him, but but he remained king, and um, and and he uh, <laughs> he was called the sweet psalmist of Israel, and God said that he was a man after His own heart, not because he never made a mistake, but because uh, he didn't argue with God when God called him on it. He said, "Yeah, I sure did." And I feel terrible about it, and and uh, and so look how quick Nathan is to tell him when when he admits it. He says, "And God's put away your sin. You're not going to die, because according to the uh, the Old Testament uh, covenant, he should have. Should, he and Bathsheba should have both been killed, but uh, but God had mercy on him and and overlooked it, or well, he passed over it, but uh, but he he definitely still had some consequences to deal with from it. So. So we all have that opportunity then to, to hear what God is saying to us. Um, and just uh, there, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is that there's no reason to be afraid of um, hearing what God would say to you if it's something that you don't want to hear uh, because that, that's the way forward. That's, that's the thing that, that you want to have happen. And so if, if God tells you something that you you don't want to hear, or He brings up a subject that you'd rather just skirt around, um, you know, face it head on, and and just let God tell you what He wants to tell you, and and uh, you know, and and don't don't make excuses. It's like, well, I just you know this and that and the other thing. It's like you know, um, I, I uh, the book of Proverbs says there's no wisdom nor counsel against the Lord. So um, it doesn't make sense to argue with God because you know you're wrong at the outset. <laughs> so it's like arguing with your wife. It's like, why, why they even bother? So, all right. Jesus, we just thank you for your faithfulness to us, God. And we appreciate that, that you would tell us things that we don't want to hear. God, it, uh, we appreciate that you would watch out for us and keep us going the right direction and that you would warn us if we were going off course. God, that's a blessing to us. God, and I just pray that you'd break off um, every every lie, every fear that would tell us that that, that um, admitting what you're saying to us is, is true or, or accepting the responsibility for... Um, for mistakes and for sin and, and foolishness and things, God, that, that that would somehow be bad for us. God, it's a, it's a blessing to get those things 
put away and, and put behind us. God, you said blessed is the man whose uh, transgressions are, are forgiven and to whom the Lord imputes not iniquity. God, we want to be that people. God, and anything that you would say to us. God, even God, not just something that's sin, but just something that you're wanting us to do differently or a direction you're wanting to take us or an issue that you're wanting to change our thinking on. God, we want to hear you, God, with, with an open heart and with open ears, God, to just accept what you have to say and uh, and take it as it is. God, we just pray it in your name. God, in this place today, you see the need of every heart and you see the the, the questions in every soul, God, and I pray that today you would be that great meter of the needs. God, we've come to this place not just because it's Sunday morning, God, but because we're expecting something from you. We're expecting you to, to meet with us, Lord God, and uh, where the where the manna falls, that that is where we are, that people, that that's where we are. And God, we just pray, Jesus, that you would do in this place today as only you could, that you would have perfect preeminence in every heart, in every life. God, that the, that the, the flesh would be uh, bound and destroyed. God, and that your spirit would be loose to do exactly what you want with perfect liberty in this place and in each of our hearts. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen.